pray for wisdom and discernment as we begin a study on your giving of the law and the Ten Commandments. I pray, Father, that our hearts are not um, distracted one way or the other. Either we think that the law does not apply to us because we're under grace and therefore we embrace a lawless grace. The other side of that is a graceless law. We feel crushed and constantly obligated to be approved by you under uh, by our own performance of, of what you've revealed in Exodus 20. We thank you that Christ fulfills the law for us and then calls us to follow. Not out of a, a sense of needing to gain approval, but because of a new identity that we have in him. I thank you for the means of grace you've given us in this local body to encourage one another toward holiness, toward Christ-likeness in all areas of life. And As we begin this study over the next few months, uh, that you would be working in our hearts to, to keep a mindset of that we are risen with Christ, seated with him, and yet here we are on this earth, and so we we want to be who we are in Christ. We need you to help us do that. We know that that's your ultimate goal for us, and so we want to work with you in, in the growth and in, 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 um, in looking like Jesus. So we ask for these things in, in his name. Amen. We're beginning again in Exodus. Uh, we took a little break, and now we're starting in chapter 20. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 17 today. <clears throat> We're going to be here a little while. So settle in. Um, today, uh, I, I think it'd be just possibly helpful, hopefully helpful, to, to, to um, kind of set the, the stage, kind of set a, a tone for how we approach the law. Um, our, our culture is one that's kind of schizophrenic concerning the Ten Commandments. Uh, you remember the, uh, I don't know, how many of you remember back in 2003, the, the, the Ten Commandments judge, um, where uh, the, the, the Chief Justice of Alabama was removed from office because he would not remove the, uh, the Ten Commandments from the judicial uh, complex there in, in Montgomery. Uh, but even more recently, the Supreme Court has ruled that the display of the Ten Commandments on, on government property in Kentucky is illegal, but the display of the Ten Commandments on government property in Texas is legal. Um, it, it's, I, I commend you to those opinions. You figured out what the reasoning was there, but there's a, there's a crisis in our culture when it comes to I say crisis. There is a confusion in our culture when it comes to what do you do with the Ten Commandments. Um, why do you why do you think that is? What's the, what's the fuss about? Authority. Authority. In what way? Well, if you accept the Ten Commandments, then you accept the Ten Commandments giver, okay. which is God, who's able to speak into your life and tell you probably a lot more than Ten Commandments. Why do Christians fuss over this? Why do we care how how our culture views the Ten Commandments? I mean, aren't we? The, the, 
this is just a, a set of laws given to uh, ancient Israelites in the middle of the desert. And uh, aren't, aren't we under the New Testament now? Why, why, why do we care? What's the fuss about? What do you think? There's a there's a fundamental understanding there of what law is, um, and 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 where the starting point is kind of affects everything, right? Isn't, isn't the Ten Commandments where isn't that like the backbone of Christianity in the sense that that is the rules that God has given us to give us the the, the basic guidelines? Yeah, yeah, it's foundational. The Ten Commandments are foundational. You're right. So if Oh, absolutely. In the sense that you're, you're going away from God. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, foundational. I think it, for Christians anyways, for most Christians, it, it would presuppose an absolute truth. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't like that in America. No. <laughs> no, in well, fact, in fact, only Sith talk in absolutes, right? Do what? Only the Sith talk in absolutes. So, you yeah. know, I remember the... <laughs> Line. I'll never forget that when I when the third Star Wars. I, I remember talking that way, and it's like, what, what? Absolutely, you know. Um, it's just a strange idea, but yeah, we don't like absolutes because it it, it imposes upon us something that is uh, we that we have to conform to. We can't be ourselves. We can't be individuals. Um, you know, if I have to do something that everybody else has to do, somehow that makes me part of a herd rather than a rugged individualist American. Westerner kind of kind of thing. Um, I, I saw I saw a, a poster one time. I don't know if you guys ever. I love this is okay. This is my black card. I, there there is a um, there is a company called Despair.com, <laughs> and and they have these posters that are like anti motivational posters. And uh, oh my gosh, I love those things. And and one of them said it has a picture of zebras. And it says, you're unique just like everybody else, you know. And is that what it is? Oh, okay, well, I don't know. Anyway, so it, it, that's the thing that I, I think uh, the more we try to be individualistic, the more we just try to look like it. You see this in, in high school, right? Everybody, I'm so unique. My own, well, they're all wearing the same hat, you know. It, what? Um, pierced in the same whatever. So... We're going to spend some time here because an understanding of the law is crucial to our understanding of grace. You don't know what you're saved to until you know what you're saved from. So this is core, fundamental issue. Um, we bought some. Uh, we bought a car recently, and in the in the glove box of the car was a uh, manufacturer's manual, and it, and it and it told us um, finally. Uh, how to do the windshield wipers, and how to turn on the lights, and um, how not to make the alarm go off all the time, and um, those things that, that how to operate the car. The Ten Commandments uh, are can be likened to an, a, a manufacturer's manual. We're built to do this. We're created to do this. Why, why is that? Why do you think that is? If, if God comes down on the mountain 
children of Israel all around and says, um, you shall not. And yet, as he's doing that, it tells us something about him. It tells us something about ourselves. What do you think that is? That we're malfunctioning. That we're malfunctioning. Paul talks it like this. He, he, the law is a tutor to bring us to Christ. It shows us where we're, where we're, where we need repair. And and if the if the Ten Commandments are kind of the owner the owner's manual, the manufacturer's manual of how we're supposed to run, how we're supposed to thrive, in, as as created beings, the rest of the Bible is kind of the repair manual. We're broken and we need grace. And here's where we're broken, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Um. James tells us that the law reflects God's nature. And we're image bearers. The image that we see is reflected in these ten words, as it's called in the, the, the original language, the ten words. God's nature uh, is reflected in the law. It, James tells us that if we break just one of the commandments but keep the other nine, we're condemned. Why is that? Because we've broken one. Welcome. I was just letting you know I'm here. One of the ladies in the ladies ministry needs some help. So I'm going to Okay. The room is not going to be as bright. Oh. Valentine's coming up. You know I'm playing. <laughs> All right. So, um, so the the if you if you uh, now I'm all confused. Um, if you break just one, you're condemned. Why is that? Is God just looking to zap us? Well, um, he demands perfection. He demands perfection. Why? That's kind of oppressive. Because he's, he's perfect. And in, in saying that, what are you saying about the law? It's perfect. it's perfect. His perfection is reflected in the law. And we are called to be perfect as he is perfect. We're called to reflect his image. We're image bearers. Um, if we... Um, if we're violating a law, we can follow the other nine, but we take one, theft, lust, lying, coveting, whatever it is. At that moment, we're looking in the face of God and saying, your nature isn't good enough here. Let me show you something better. Let me be God in this area. And that's blasphemy. That's having contempt for the very nature of God. That's saying that he's not enough. That's a Sin at core is unbelief, sure. It's pride, sure. But it's always blasphemy. Um, because it, 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 it shows contempt for his nature. All right. We're going to look at an overview, overview today, kind of what's going on in the passage. And then, and then over the next several weeks, I want to take these one at a time. Let's look at Exodus 20. Let's rehash a little bit. Oh, those many moons ago, we've gone through some things to get here. What uh, verse? Exodus 20, verse 1. We're starting in verse 1. They've traveled a little bit since Egypt. They've gone through some things, some complaining, a little bit of disagreement with Moses over some things. He provided some uh, God rained down manna. Uh, blows in a bunch of quail uh, to feed them. Uh, they get water from a rock. They defeat Amalek. Um, 
and we set up judges and see the basis of the law. You know those kind of those things that we saw as they're progressing through the desert. And so they're here at the mountain, and, and, and Moses tells them, don't go up on the mountain, don't touch the mountain, you'll be, you'll be killed. God's here, it's a big thing, there's smoke, there's lightning, thundering, crazy theatrics going on with on the mountains. It's a huge deal. And then it says this, chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in, earth, in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. All right, let's, let's stop there. What do you see here? What are some things that you pick up on? Just reading through that. Hey, one thing I've never really noticed, I guess, is verse 2. How he leads into the Ten Commandments by saying that I am the Lord your God. And uh, it's like what you were saying before. It's because of him and who he is and his nature as to why he's saying all these things. Right. And he has the right to say them. Right. Because he made everything and gave, he brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is a big deal. The giving of these ten words is a big deal. Um, it, it's going to be foundational for the, for the uh, form of law in Israel. It's foundational for our law, although we're getting away from it. Um, do you see the two parts here? The two parts. The first uh, four set out man's duty to God. We call those the vertical commands, right? And then the last six would be man's relationship to his neighbor, the horizontal commands. See that set up? Um, do you remember how Jesus set this up, how he summarized this law? What's the greatest commandment? Oh, great teacher, what's the greatest commandment? He gave him two. He gave him two. What is, what is it? Love Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Okay. So when the second one is likened to it, he says, which is strange. 
isn't it? They're both love commands. And, and yet he says the second command, love your neighbor as yourself, is like the first one, which is love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why would he say the second one's like it? If you don't get the first one right, there's no way you can do the second one right. It all starts from him, who he is, and are we oriented toward him? Right, that's first John. Yeah, he does. And then he says something crazy. On these two depend all the law and the prophets. The summary of the law in Deuteronomy, I think it's in the 30s, and then the summary of the law, love your neighbors yourself, in Leviticus 19. And, and they're not ten suggestions here. These are binding on Israel. These are a covenant law. Um, you talk about verse 2. What, is it, what does that tell you? He introduces himself a little bit there, doesn't he? Have you ever heard of the, um, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Caesarean treaties, the Middle Eastern treaties, where you have a great king who is conquering everybody and the territory is running in fear because here he comes. And so he comes in and he makes a treaty with the lesser king whose land he's taking over. And there's a format that they use in these things where the great king would introduce himself, hi, the guy that could destroy you, and what he's done for them. I've kept you from being destroyed by these people. Now, then there's an obligation. Serve me exclusively. No other king involved. That would be a breach of the treaty. Um, and here's the, here are the terms of the treaty. This is an eternal treaty. Um, you break it, there will be the wrath of the great king. You obey it, there will be uh, blessings from the great king. Protection, you know, cultural investment, that kind of thing. Many scholars um, kind of have an idea that, that this is what's going on with the Ten Commandments. The God, the great king, has delivered them from, out of the bondage of Egypt and is now having a treaty with them. I am the Lord your God who uh, brought you out of the land of Egypt. These are the benefits from my relationship with you. Um, out of the house of slavery. And then the first commandment is, there's no other king than me. You shall know the gods before me. You see how that... And then they say that this is how the treaty works out. It's God's covenant with them is, follows that, that format of a, of a Middle Eastern treaty. How are these commandments given? How are they given? You shall not. Okay, there's in the negative. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of means that they've already been doing it, haven't they? Well, yeah, I would, yeah, I think so. How are they? How are they transmitted? They were spoken. Was there? Was it? Was did Moses relay these to them, or or how did they? What was going on there? Who wrote them? God. We see later on in, in, in uh, Exodus 30-something, 30 31, written by the very finger of God on stone tablets. These are, these are revealed directly from God without any mediation on the part of Moses. What does that tell you? 
if this is given directly by God to the people, on the, written by his finger, not through any mediator, what does that convey? I think it conveys a lot. I think number one is how important it is. Okay. He's not going to entrust anything to Moses. He's going to do it himself. Right. It's important. Right. You also can't question it. It's not like God told Moses and Moses wrote it down and could have wrote it down wrong. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Good. So there's no there's no issue of transmission error. <laughs> it's, it's almost like he's a he's introducing himself as a personal God too. It's not like hey, this is Moses' God, and then Moses has his kingdom of all these people. It's that God is the king of all of these people. Okay. And that it's sufficient. It's sufficient. Why do you say that? That's interesting. I don't know. It feels like if you love the Lord and you love your neighbor, that's kind of all you need. I mean, I understand now that we need Christ in our life, but at that time, Christ hadn't come. Uh So I guess... The Ten Commandments were sufficient for the people. The revealing of God's nature yeah. at that time, who He is, sufficient for that time? Okay. What do you think? How many are there? Ten. What, do we, what have we seen before the number ten kind of goes in? Completeness. Yeah, exactly. There's a completeness. And incidentally, these are written on the front and the back of the tablets. There, there's no, there's no, um, there's no uh, possibility that somebody could add 11, 12. I mean, it's, they're covered onto the stone tablets. Um, That's cool. What'd you say? And love the Cowboys as God's team? No, I don't think, uh, I don't think that was 11. That was a Dallas edition. That would be one that I would have an issue with. That yeah, that would be one you'd have problems with? Yeah, oh, might contest that one. Um, to whom were these given? What does the language read? To whom were they given? To his people? What's the language used? You. You. Very specific. What if I told you that the you there is singular second person and a very intimate form of that word, familiar word in Hebrew. What would that mean? Why would he use the singular second person in a very familiar form? He said he's a personal He is a personal God. He knows you. Okay. That you as an individual, not just as a culture, are all they're speaking directly to each person. And yet at the same time, that you in the singular is addressing the nation as a unit. Yeah, Israel. Israel. There's two things going on. You're doing this as a group. You're my people. You are my covenant people. And yet you individually are responsible to obey these laws. What does that tell you? There's individual accountability. There's individual accountability. And if one breaches the law, it's accounted to everyone. It's a covenant with God as a nation, yet each one is responsible to fulfill it, to obey it. Uh, One's sin affects, uh, affects the group 
Is that a familiar concept to us in America? No. <laughs> I'm not hurting anybody else. But it is within the family. One sin goes to Mm-hmm. And that's what's going on. I mean, they are a family, Israel. They're all one huge, happy, <laughs> complaining family. Um. There is a covenantal oneness here of the people of God, and it's binding on the whole nation. One person's violation affects all of them. Is that true today in the church? Do we think of it that way? The local community and the universal community? One, my sin affects you, your sin affects me. Do we think of it that way? We should. We should. I think it's a biblical way of thinking. And it's, you see that here. Yes, sir. An analogy to um, all of society, they actually do get this concept, or we actually do get this concept, because you think of the prison system. If somebody commits a crime, one of the punishments is to lock them up, is to remove them from society so that they don't hurt society. Mm -hmm. if, if it was a true statement to say that one person's sin, or wrongdoing, or whatever you want to call it, does not affect anybody else, why in the world would we bother locking them up? We just let them keep doing their thing, mm -hmm. because it's not hurting anybody. Mm -hmm. But we all get that because we take them out of society, punish them, lock them up, keep them away. We just regulate what sin is. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of a matter of degree. Mm -hmm. Okay. On on what were these written? Psalm. What does that tell you? Final. They're final. Kind of hard to white out stone and start over. There's no little red squiggly line on stone. It's done, right? Um, it's never to be erased. It is a law that applies to all contexts of history. They are eternally and perpetually binding. They are absolute and eternal truth. Why? Why would they be absolute and eternal truth? I mean... Because it's after God's absolute and eternal character. Okay. It, God is absolute eternal truth. And these reflect Him. Um, all right. So, so what do we do with this as Christians? Abide by it. Nice history. <laughs> Abide by it. Nice history. Uh, interesting uh, visuals of the effects on the mountain. Kind of some nice guidelines. There's just like the pirate's code. There are more guidelines than <laughs> <laughs> um, We obey it out of our love for them. Mm -hmm. So that it's not this legalistic, well, I'm just doing it because I don't want to be punished or I'm afraid of what might happen to me. It's because he's your father. You love him. He's called you to himself. So you just naturally want to please him. You want to. Um, Jesus said this. Well, what were his thoughts on the law? Do you, do you just... If you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah, it's kind of a big one, isn't it? If you love me, keep my commandments. What else? What else do you recall from Jesus' use of the law, his discussion of the law? He took it all like a step further. Yes, he did. Like, it's not just adultery, it's lust. It's not mm -hmm. just murder, it's hate. He transforms it into something from the external, which is what they had drifted toward 
and the, and the application of the law was just all externals. And he points it to the spirit of the law, which is the heart. God's after heart transformation. He got a reveal that we couldn't do it. Okay. So much so that he asked the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? What are you, what are you assuming there? There's none good but God. Um, and you should probably think of me as him. Yeah, which that would be a good thing. Uh, what's, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What does he do? I've been, I've, I have uh, fulfilled all these laws from my youth. What a naive statement that is. He said he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That not a jot or a tittle, which is the smallest strokes of the Hebrew alphabet, would pass away until all was fulfilled. This law, these ten commandments, these ten uh, more than suggestions, are, uh, are prophetic. Aren't they? Do they point to one who would ultimately fulfill them? I don't think any of the guys sitting at the bottom of the mountain are thinking, ooh, this is going to be easy. And then they just sin because they have another God before them, their own pride. You know, this is going to be easy. We can do this. You can feel the weight of this. Remember how easily they, oh, we will obey the Lord for us and our children forever. We jump on this. We are in covenant before any kind of terms of the covenant come in. They jump right on it. And then they hear these things, this nature of this holy God said from the mountain, written on stone. The law points forward to the one who actually could fulfill it, not just its letter, but its spirit. When Jesus talks about loving our neighbor, he um, has the audacity to include our enemies as our neighbor. That's a little transforming. What about a lover of God? He, he takes, Jesus takes, the cup of judgment he did not deserve and was obedient to the death, even death on a cross. So, uh, as, we're, as we're working through these, and, and again, every week we're going to be going over one. There's, there's, the old creeds would say that for every negative injunction in the commands, there's a positive command. So, you shall have no other, other gods before me. I should be your only God. You know, there, there's a positive toward, toward the negatives uh, that, that spring from the negatives. So, we're going to work through these. But I want to do so, and I want to make sure that we don't, again, run into the ditches on either side of this. It's very easy. I did this with Leviticus when I was going through Leviticus. Um, it's easy to feel crushed by the weight of the law. And you should feel crushed by the weight of the law. But in doing that, I, I want us to, to see the beauty of grace in Christ. Because He lived this. He fulfilled this. And he did it on our behalf. He did it so that by trusting in him, we have a heart that wants to also fulfill the law. And one day, we will. That's the promise. That's the hope, is that when he returns, we'll be made like him, for we will see him as he is. And we will obey God's law. We will reflect his nature rightly. Yeah? Well, in uh, Jeremiah 31, 3, But this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, I will put my law within them, and I will write on them, and I will write it on their hearts. 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And this is talking about the new covenant. Um, so, and then in 2 Corinthians 3 7, now the ministry of death, carved in letters and stone, came with such glory, the Israelites could not gaze at uh, Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end. Uh, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So, uh, I guess my point is that the new covenant, it's written on our heart, we're given the ability to do it. When he established the, the old covenant here at Sinai, um, he laid out the law, but he didn't give them the, the ability to carry it out. And I'm not saying we have the ability to carry every John Tittle. Iota, we'd say in Greek. But that we've been given the Holy Spirit, and that's who our basis of fulfilling the law is on. Okay. Were you just stretching? Okay. I did read this scripture this weekend, and I feel like it applies. It's in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. It says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk through my statutes and be careful to obey my so from Ezekiel, what is it, 36? 36, 26. Talking again about a new covenant, he'll put the, the statute of God on our heart. Um, aren't we already familiar with the law from birth? And doesn't Paul talk about that in, in uh, Romans 1? I want to say, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they were without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or, or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We see that uh, in, in verse 28, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Um, since they repressed, since they suppressed the truth of the knowledge of God, they're given over to to their um, to their own sin. I, I had to, this morning. I've been reading. I have a little daily reading thing I do, and this morning took me through Romans eight and Paul's discussion here. Um, I think is pretty amazing given what we've been talking about this morning. It starts in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh law wasn't weak. Flesh was weak. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. It's broken. It won't submit. It won't do what it's created to do, reflect the image of God. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, here's the call. Here's the altar call of Paul. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What's he saying there? Your fulfillment of the law is not some external code that you have to conform to. It's not some external thing. It is a, a natural thing you're called to because you're a member of a family. You've been adopted as sons. Because you're in Christ, you desire to follow the law. Not to get into Christ. Does that make sense? And yet the law is there. It's eternal. It hasn't been abolished. It's been fulfilled. And we're called to also, in Christ, fulfill it. But those who are lost will be judged. Absolutely. That's why it's still there. It's, all, it's, it's not just a declaration to Israel, Ten Commandments. It, it's a declaration of who God is to all mankind. And so those, uh, what is it, you either be crushed by the rock or you will fall and, 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 and break on the rock, one of the two. You're either humbled or you'll be crushed. The rock is there, it's, the stone is there, yeah. To, um, emphasize, like you were saying, the Supreme King, mm -hmm. and uh, the language is used all through like, the passages that we looked at. God says, I will be their God, mm -hmm. and you will be my people. Mm -hmm. So he is the one making the covenant. Yeah, they were redeemed out of slavery. So they're kind of at his mercy. And if you're going to be at someone's mercy, it's, it's, it's kind of a cool thing to have someone who's merciful. And he gives the law as a mercy. They're not guessing, gosh, what do I have to do to please God? There's none of that going on. I, I think I've read in here before some of the, the prayers of the, the um, Sumerians, the God I know or do not know, what, you know, forgive my sin that I know or do not know, and all that kind of despair kind of stuff. Not the funny despair.com, it's a different, different deal. And, and you see the grace here. I mean, and Moses will talk about this in Deuteronomy, if we ever get to Deuteronomy. Um, do you remember what, what, what people has ever heard God speaking out of the fire and lived? But you have. And here we have him. 
He's revealing himself. What people has, has ever had that experience of God speaking to them? It's not an image. It's not a movie. It's, it's his word. And that speaks to the image of God in us to, to think and ponder and, and, and to um, strive to, uh, to obey what he says. But yes, it's a, it's a treaty. But it's a specific treaty to a specific people. You have to ask who, yeah, people. who uh, is this covenant given to and how does it apply to these Israelites? Mm-hmm. Because not all the Israelites were um, mm-hmm. saved, their hearts saved. But they were under the covenant of do this and I'll uh, grow your land or whatever. So They're in a microcosm kind of of humanity, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, and that they're all under this revealed law. But the people like uh, Isaac and Jacob, they were all saved under the covenant of grace like we are. Uh-huh. But there's the like posterity. Sure. Probably don't have time for, for that today. We'll probably get to that some other time. But yes. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a covenant. But it's a covenant um, that is imposed upon the entire human race. This is God's nature. And you are to, to, to obey his nature. There's also a covenant with his people um, uh, of grace through the promised one who would actually fulfill this. Right. It's a promised covenant. It hasn't been established yet. Mm. This covenant that they're doing right now has been established. The covenant works. Right. But in that is promised the covenant of grace. Of grace, right. Yep. So don't mm-hmm. be Presbyterian. <laughs> so go be, a, go be a Presbyterian. How does that work? Because they believe that the substance was the same. They, they believe that this was all covenant of grace. Uh-huh. Anyway, that's and, 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 and why is that unique? I don't understand why that would be unique. I, did, I don't see how that leads us to infant baptism. Anyway, um, that, that's a whole other issue. Okay. What, uh, any other comments, questions, fruit to be thrown? I'll make the verse... It kind of struck me in verse um, 5 again, just um, talking about I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations. I mean, I'm sure I've read that before, but it, it was just like vivid as to how incredibly jealous he is for his uh, righteousness and praise. For his own nature. Yes. To be represented rightly. Mm-hmm. And the, but in the next, the very next verse, but he says, "But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments," mm-hmm. like, like Jesus said. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a cool summation of the gospel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is good. Right, right, good. All right, let's uh, let's pray. Father, it's with great um, fear that I begin uh, uh, that we begin this uh, lesson on the um, the Ten Commandments. M- my concern is always that we would forget the the beauty of Christ fulfilling this for us, and feel the weight only of the law. And so, Lord, I pray that you 
by your spirit would um, glorify Christ through our study of the law. That he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. It's an incredible gift given your perfection and your call to us to be perfect as you are perfect, to be holy as you are holy. There's no good in us, in our flesh. But thank you that you've given us your spirit as a seal to transform slowly, day by day, these um, untrained and often rebellious hearts to be more like Christ. That's the upward call, and we, we long for the day when we freely and without restraint obey your law. We thank you that we are free in Christ to obey, but we're still chained to this body of death. Thank you for the gift that we have in Christ of repentance and faith and that you call us back to yourself when we blow it. I pray that you continue to um, soften our consciences to your law. That when we do things almost flippantly, your spirit is there reminding us of your law and the perfection that you are calling us toward to drive us to the cross to, to drive us toward seeking your face more fervently so that we um, conform to the, his image I pray that you strengthen our community here that, that we would encourage each other and um, admonish each other toward holiness and toward um, loving you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Give us grace, we pray, as we go into the next service, as we listen to Philip's sermon this morning. I pray that you would be gracious to us in the proclamation of your word, that you would give him the words to speak, let him proclaim the gospel boldly this morning. I thank you for those who are here, that you would bless what we've talked about this morning drive them closer to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.